Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Donna. I know as we prepare to look into God's Word, if you'd turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, we'll continue on in this letter of Paul's that he wrote. And if you remember, the, uh, the reason that he wrote this letter was because he had gone to the area of, of Galatia, which is in uh, what, what we would now call in our times uh, the land of Turkey. He uh, had gone there and he had, along with Barnabas, taken the good news that salvation from the penalty of your sins and entrance into a life uh, where you can be free uh, from sin that is uh, always growing in your life and, and even eventually the presence of sin, that of eternal life and being with Jesus, with God forever, that all comes by entrusting yourself to Jesus who came and paid the price for your sin. He'd, he'd gone and, 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 and given that message to the people in these Galatian cities and started churches in, in, in multiple cities. And many had said, yes, we believe. We entrust ourselves to Jesus, the Messiah. And then not too long after Paul and Barnabas left, some other people came along. And they came and said, well, we have, we have a close connection with those who are followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. And Paul, you know, he gave you a message that sounded good, but he left some things out. See, especially for those of you who aren't Jewish, and, and the, you know, the believers began with those who were, were Jewish, but then it expanded to those who were not, so those who were Gentiles. So those of you, particularly who are Gentiles, you can't just jump straight to Jesus. First of all, you need to be circumcised, man. You have to follow certain parts of the Hebrew Scriptures, the, the, the law of Moses. Then put your trust in Jesus, and, and then you'll be right with God. And Paul was very concerned about it, very upset about that, as you can tell from chapter, chapter 1, the things that he, he told them. Um, because it was very obvious that, the, that they were teaching a different good news. They called it the gospel or the good news of Jesus, but he said, it's not a good news. It's actually bad news. It's now, it's on you. You do, and you do, and you do, and then you'll be right with God. Whereas what Jesus has come to offer is a free gift based on what he has already done and, and finished and accomplished. You receive that free gift, that's grace, and forgiveness of your sins is yours as a free gift when you believe. And so he begins to, to present to the, to the Galatian believers the fact that his message is in fact the correct one from Jesus in chapter 1 by showing that the gospel he is teaching came directly from Jesus himself. And we know, of course, that, that Jesus um, uh, interrupted Paul's mission to destroy the church by imprisoning and uh, even torturing to get people to renounce their faith in Jesus and actually being in, uh, intimately involved in having believers in Jesus killed. He said, Jesus, stop me in my tracks. 
had spoke to me, had told me that he was going to transform my life and then send me out with his gospel to the Gentiles. But remember, we also looked last week at how uh, after that he didn't go to Jerusalem and find out what the message should be, but he made it as far as Damascus after that happened. And then it says, you know, I went into Arabia. And, and it seems from what we, we pick up here and in Acts that Paul actually spent uh, possibly up to three years out in the wilderness with Jesus himself as Jesus taught him what the truth was. He had the best ultimate source. And chapter one is really Paul, that's Paul's argument. I didn't go and get my message from the apostles in Jerusalem. I didn't go and get my message from people in the church at Jerusalem, but my message came directly from Jesus, the Messiah himself. And now he's going to demonstrate that when his gospel was laid out then for the church leaders, for those who had been apostles before him, it turned out to be a perfect match. That's the point of these 10 verses we're going to look at this morning. And the bigger point being, it's God who is at work here. This is not the work of men, but this is the work of God, and he chooses to use men. So follow along with me, if you would, as I read Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and submitted to them the gospel which I was preaching among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked in Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked in me also to the Gentiles, and recognizing that they had been, er, er, excuse me, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reported, who were reputed to be pillars gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And so having established the fact that, that his message was gained independently directly from Jesus, Paul now says, I spent 14 years preaching that message confidently telling people to put their faith in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sins. It seems he had no doubts that what he was teaching was correct. I mean, Paul's not the kind of person to go around wondering. He was very confident because he knew his source. 
He had spent time, and that's one of the things he emphasizes in chapter 1, is that, that personal relationship that he had directly with Jesus. And so why go to Jerusalem if he's confident? Well, verse, cha chapter, verse 2 there in chapter 2 says, it was because of revelation that I went up. And this kind of brings uh, up the issue of, <coughs> of when was this trip then to Jerusalem uh, that Paul took. And there, there's a different opinion among Bible scholars of which visit by Paul recorded in Acts is being referred to because he did visit uh, Jerusalem on at least uh, three or four more occasions in the course of his life. Uh, it could be the trip by Paul and Barnabas to take famine relief to Jerusalem that was found in Acts chapter 11, or it could have been um, in Acts chapter 15 when the issue of circumcision and following the law was finally dealt with by uh, the apostles who were in Jerusalem and the church leaders in Jerusalem. I lean toward this being the, the uh, trip in chapter 11. And let me just go ahead and read Acts 11, 27 through 30. It's just a kind of fairly short account of what, what actually happens with Paul here. <clears throat> there it says, Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. <clears throat> and so the fact that we do have a revelation here given to, the, to this prophet Agabus, which then prompted Paul to go to Jerusalem, that fits in well with the Galatians, but also the fact that throughout the course of this letter to the Galatian churches, Paul never mentions the decision that was reached in Jerusalem by the apostles and the elders of the Jerusalem church. He doesn't say, I'm telling you this, but also the leaders of the Jerusalem church have come to this decision and they actually have, have formalized their position on whether Gentiles have to be circumcised or follow the law. And, then, and the, the church actually sent out a letter. And, you know, and so Paul never mentions that in Galatians. So it seems to me it's more likely the earlier trip to Jerusalem in chapter 11. And it also makes great sense why Paul would go up to Jerusalem. Uh, because he went as someone who was bridging the gap between Jews and Gentiles within the church. Uh, the, the ministry at Antioch, if you remember, that was the place where they, they really started giving the gospel to people who weren't Jewish. Up till that point, pretty much the gospel had always gone to Jewish people. But in, in Antioch, they started sharing it with everyone uh, to the point where the church in Jerusalem did send somebody down to check it out and say, is this, is this legitimate? And their conclusion was, yes, in fact, it is. And, of course, Jesus had let them know that his goal was to to bring salvation for the world, not just the Jewish people. And so here, when, when this prophecy comes about a great famine that's going to especially impact the, those who are poor living in Judea, what a great way to, to bridge that gap between a, a largely Gentile church 
and a largely Jewish church, the church in Antioch sends money to help out with those in Jerusalem who are struggling to make it. I believe that's, that's the time when Paul went. That, that, that link is being encouraged, or, or is, you know, in Ephesians it talks about you know, that we have unity in Christ, but we're to preserve or maintain the unity or the bond of unity that we have in Christ. And so while Paul is there, he does take the opportunity then to speak to some of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. In verse 2, you know, it tells us, I was there because of revelation, it was because of revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. And so that, that word that he submitted, just, it kind of means he laid it out for them. It's for a fairly literal translation of that, that Greek word. Um, he, he put it out there for their benefit so they could compare and see if what they were teaching in Jerusalem agreed. And, and it's not, I don't think, because Paul thought he was preaching something that was wrong. But he just wanted to make sure that they were communicating, making sure things linked up between. It says he did it in private. And this makes sense if they were to, to, there to deliver famine relief. Uh, Paul could have taken the opportunity to present what he had been teaching about in, in a low-key setting. Whereas if he were there during what happened in chapter 15, what's called the Jerusalem Council, to, to kind of bring a final decision to this, that was really a pretty public meeting. It, was, it, was, it involved a lot of people. Whereas here, Paul came to bring this offering, and it would, he would have had the opportunity to say to you know, Peter and John, you know, I'd like to talk to a few of you, and let me just lay out what I've been teaching among the Gentiles and give you the opportunity to see what Jesus gave me. So you can see that what I'm preaching and how it looks next to what you are teaching. And he also, these are the people that you would say were of reputation. You might have noticed as I read through those verses, he keeps bringing up this, this phrase. Um, you see it in verses 6 and 9 as well. Verse 6, but for those who were of high reputation in verse 6, and again at the end of verse 6, those who were of reputation, and then verse 9, yeah, there, there he says, those who are reputed to be pillars. And I think what Paul's doing here, coming back again to this phrase, you, you hear it and, and it sounds maybe a little sarcastic. It sounds like he could even be almost disrespectful to the other apostles and the other uh, church leaders. But that doesn't really fit what we know of Paul, does it? Um, because he wrote things like in 1 Timothy, uh, he wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15 that he was the foremost of sinners. Paul didn't build himself up and say, well, I'm really something. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15.9, he declares himself to be least of the apostles who was not fit to be called an apostle. And he, he's talking about because he had persecuted the church, trying to destroy the church. Now, he wasn't degrading himself when he, when he said that or the great privilege that was his, but, but he wasn't competing either. Paul wasn't one to say, well, I'm a better apostle than 
the original 12, or he's not, he's not trying to compete with them. It's likely that Paul here, what he's actually doing is, is dealing with the way that the other apostles and the church leaders of Jerusalem were being used by the false teachers to attack his message. I think they claimed that they were representing those who were of reputation in Jerusalem, unlike Paul, because as Paul made very clear in chapter 1, he hadn't spent time in Jerusalem. He wasn't well acquainted with the other apostles. In fact, the, the letter that's later formulated after these decisions are made in chapter 15, particularly in, in verse 24, kind of deals finally with this. And we've, we've looked at this briefly uh, before when we were, since we've been in Galatians. Acts 15, verse 24, where it says, it starts the start of the letter, it says, Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. And so when they do get around to saying, this is the official position of the apostles and the elders, they say, we're writing this because there are people out there that we didn't tell to talk to you. We didn't instruct them about what they should say. They're coming and they're bringing their own message. And so, but it seems like when they went out to, Gal to Galatia and other areas, they claimed to have a connection. Oh, we're from Jerusalem and we're connected with the apostles. We're connected with the elders of the Jerusalem church. And this is the message that Paul should have told you, but of course, Paul isn't you know, connected to those people who are of reputation, those people who are the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. And so when Paul starts to combat the things they've said, well, that's one of the things he, he deals with, is the fact that it, they were the ones you claim were of reputation. Well, I've already talked to them. We've already had this discussion. I've already laid out to them what it is I'm teaching. And he did it, he says, according, according there uh, to verse 2, was because he didn't want to end up running in vain. Uh, did Paul think that he'd been preaching a false gospel for 14 years? I don't think he did. Now, he was confident in his message because he knew the source. The running in vain would happen if the gospel had been received from, that he'd received from Jesus was able to be undermined because the leaders in Jerusalem had somehow allowed these Jewish corruptors or Judaizers, as they are sometimes called, to get them off track and give credibility to their lies. The context of Jerusalem might have made it easier for their success in doing that. And Paul didn't want there to be any mixed messages. So he came and he laid out the fact that he was teaching that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Because if for some, if somehow the church in Jerusalem was teaching anything different, was saying, well, we'll go along with those that say Gentiles have to be circumcised. Oh, that would undermine the messages that went out among the Gentiles. Or they said, well, yeah, Gentiles, they, they need to keep this law and this law and this law. Then they can receive salvation through Christ. 
Paul, maybe it was a little concerned that, that something might be off in Jerusalem, really, I think, more than he was concerned that what he was teaching was off because he knew he'd gotten it directly from Christ. And so he didn't want there to be any difference because he knew that what Jesus had taught the other apostles would have matched up with what he had received from Jesus. And so he gives even the, then the example in verse 3. He says, even Titus, who was with me, though he was of Greek, was not, was, wasn't compelled to be circumcised. And so Paul, in, in going up to Jerusalem, had Barnabas with him, of course. They were the two that were taking the, the gift to the, to the church, to the poor in Jerusalem. But Titus was a Gentile believer. We don't really know where Titus was from. Maybe he was from Antioch. A lot of people came and went from Antioch, so it's hard to know. But he was, he was Greek, which is kind of synonymous with saying he was a Gentile. And he had never been circumcised, and Paul treated him with the same love and respect as Barnabas, a fellow Jew. And it had been completely normal for Paul to bring along men like him when they went somewhere. And maybe it was for this very reason that Paul took Titus along. To Jerusalem. And these men of reputation in the Jerusalem church did not require Titus to be circumcised. So why would these men of reputation support the message of, the, of these Judaizers in Galatia? God was not in the teaching of those false prophets. They were corrupting the message. In fact, now Paul goes on and uses some fairly straightforward language in verse 4 and 5 when he says, But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. And he's really laying out here that there was a sabotage mission going on against the church. Uh, these seem like wartime words when it talks about sneaked in and spied out. And Paul is speaking of unbelieving Jews being enemies of the Gentile who wants to be saved. He, he uses similar language in Romans 11, verse 28. And here written to a largely Gentile church. And, he, and he's speaking of unbelieving Jews in Romans eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. And so there's, there's that, the one side of it, a, a Jewish person, even an observant Jew, who rejects his Messiah and the, and the gospel that he brought becomes an enemy to Gentiles and trying to, to put them in bondage, put them under the law that the Jews had been under for, for all those centuries, pointing them to Christ, showing their sinfulness so that they would be ready to, to receive their Savior, their Messiah, when he came. And he says, here are some people who are saying, no, no, we don't want that message that Jesus is bringing. And now they are trying to undermine the message by coming in, finding out what the church is teaching, and, and in essence, twisting it, 
trying to undermine what was going on in the church. And Paul uses some pretty strong language when he calls them false brothers. They come in as though they were believing the same as everyone else in the church. Because they're pseudo-brothers is the way you could put that. And we don't see that so much in our time or in our country, but it's really been something that's happened since here the first, the early decades of the church. It still happens in many countries in the world. I remember being in Morocco many years ago, and if somebody came into the church there, they were a little concerned. Of course, that's, that's in a Muslim context. But they, there were people who would come in and pretend to be believers and then report them to the Muslim authorities, and the church would, would be persecuted by the government and by other, other Muslims. So it's, it's nothing, nothing new that is experienced by our brothers and sisters around the world because it was happening clear back here by people who refused to believe the good news. It also reminds us that attending church isn't necessarily mean you believe. You can sit in the pew and listen and kind of mix in and take, take the benefits, and that's, that's great. But it is a personal choice that you make to receive, to believe in the Messiah, Jesus, our Savior. They're, they were gathering information. It was a, kind of a more stealthy approach to undermine the church than what Paul was doing, right? Paul was coming and dragging people out of their homes uh, to, be, to be put on trial before the Sanhedrin and other things like that. He, he was torturing people, trying to get them to, to renounce their faith in Christ. He was casting his vote against people who were being put to death. Uh, this is more subtle. They came in, finding out what was being taught, they came to take truth out of context and then spread it around in order to destroy the church or to twist the message so that those who were within the church would say, oh yeah, we have to do all those things in the law that God gave to the Jewish people. And Paul said, no, no those are things that were a gift, yes, to the Jewish people, but for a purpose with a particular people and in a particular time. Because he's, he's saying the goal of these particular people with that was to bring believers into bondage. In other words, if they couldn't defeat the church from the outside, they would bring, or they would do it from the inside. Uh, the desire to reimpose laws and tools that have been demonstrated, or designed to demonstrate man's sinfulness back into the church wouldn't bring them freedom, as Christ desired. It would actually put on them a yoke of bondage that the, the Jerusalem council said, we, neither we nor our fathers could bear. So why should we put it on the Gentiles? The same strategy Paul warns the Ephesian elders about in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30, of people who would come in, be a part, and then undermine the true gospel or undermine the, the, the true teaching that Jesus gave to the church, he says, Therefore, let it be known... I'm sorry, that's chapter 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where it says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. 
And knowing that truth here, Paul says we didn't give in any ground. We didn't let them have, have the ability to, to do this at all. In verse 5, back in Galatians chapter 2, where he said, We did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, these false brothers, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. See, Paul wouldn't allow these, these pretenders an opportunity to twist the gospel for any length of time. There was, there was no place for that. His love for Jesus and those that he had came to save made him completely intolerant of a corruption of the gospel. He would speak out. He would correct what they were teaching. He would contradict them and he would expose the error out of love. To do anything else would, would be like seeing somebody put poison in the food or put poison in the water and, and remain silent about it, right? Paul said, we didn't put up with that for a moment. Because whenever you add any kind of a work into the gospel, and say, oh, well, you have to do, it's based on you doing in order to be saved, you ruin the whole thing, but also you are putting people's eternal destiny at risk. You're undermining the truth that would allow them to have an eternity with God instead of an eternity in hell. The stakes are even higher than with poison. So Paul resisted these false teachers in Jerusalem for the sake of people all over the world. And here he says, even in Galatia, we resisted these people in Jerusalem for your sake, Galatian believers. And as it continues then in the rest of the chapter, verses 6 through 10, it says, having laid out the gospel, he says, but from those who were, and he uses that, that, that phrase again, of high reputation, he says, what they were makes no difference to me. God show, shows no partiality. Well, those of, who were of, repu, of reputation contributed or added nothing to me. These false teachers were saying, oh, well, the people of reputation in Jerusalem, that's where we got our teaching. Paul says, I laid out what I was teaching before you were ever out here in Galatia. And the apostles didn't say, oh, well, Paul, you missed something. Oh, Paul, you need to add this to what you're teaching. Oh, Paul, you need to tell the, 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 the Gentiles they need to be circumcised first. Paul, you need to tell the Gentiles they need to observe these particular laws or feasts. No, he said, they didn't contribute anything to me. In fact, on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked in Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, Cephas, and John, who were, here we go again, reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So verse 7 says they recognized the grace that had been given to me. And Paul says specifically the grace. It's the same grace that was given to Peter. Peter who was, you know, really the leader amongst the apostles, right? All, all the way through, you know, he was the one that would speak up when, when they were walking with Jesus. And, and he was the one who would, would speak to Jesus and say, what, what about Got himself in trouble that way sometime, right? But he really was often looked at as, here's the key guy. And he says, they recognized that Jesus had done the same thing in me. 
Paul as he had done in Peter. And so the apostles and the leaders of the church knew that Paul had the right message. There is no other gospel, which is what we saw back in chapter 1, right? Verses 6 and 7, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace or the gift of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, when Paul and the other apostles looked at what they were teaching, it matched up perfectly because they both had the same source. Jesus, the author of the gospel. And there we saw in verses 8 and 9 that, that they then offered them fellowship. In essence, they extended, it says to them, the right hand of fellowship. It's not a commissioning. It's not a granting of authority by those in Jerusalem who were over Paul and Barnabas. They recognized who had brought Paul to this place. He was the same one who had established Peter. They had different target groups or target audiences, but the message was the same. They weren't ordained or approved by them. They were simply recognized here as co-workers or co-laborers. And so they didn't lay hands on them as a sign of their approval, but they said, we share, we fellowship, we have in common this ministry of taking the gospel because we work for the same Master, Jesus. And it's interesting when you consider the people who are mentioned here. You know, he, he talks about Paul, and he says Cephas, who, which is Peter's Hebrew name, right? And John. And then he also talks about James, and this James would have been James, the half-brother of Jesus, who became a key leader in the church at Jerusalem. When he mentions those who were of reputation, you put Paul in there, and 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament were written by these men. Possibly 22, depending on who wrote Hebrews. Okay? So we're talking over three-fourths by number of the books in the New Testament written by this group. And he's saying, we were all seeing things together, and when you read their work, it all fits together perfectly, doesn't it? It supplement, it's, they supplement each other. They help you to understand each other, the things that they wrote that were given. And really, it's, it's saying, look at what God is doing here. Now, they didn't know that, right? Galatians is one of the early, early books that was written in the New Testament, but we get the privilege of looking back and saying, wow, look at what Paul is saying there. They really were all together, and it was the doing of God by his Spirit giving them all the same good news the same message. And that unity theme is, is emphasized again in verse 10 when it says, they only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Because remember, why did Paul go to Jerusalem? Take a gift for the poor in Jerusalem, right? And he used that to help bridge, build a bridge between Jewish and Gentile believers. Paul would do that again gathering from the churches who were in Greece and Macedonia and, yes, in Asia Minor, which is where Galatia was. And there were churches from Galatia that contributed to that later 
um, offering to help the poor who were in Jerusalem. And Paul is like, yeah, I, I think that's perfect. That we're all in this together and we're there to help each other out. Those, those distinctions between Jew and Gentile broken down in Christ. We are all one in him. So what an encouragement this should have, have been to these young churches in Galatia, but also to us. Though there, there are constantly those who want to tear down and control believers by twisting the truth, Jesus is faithful to protect his own and to provide a clear understanding to those who seek him. For us, we have these writings, right? From the ones that he sent out and those who were connected with him, with them. And we get to read both what Paul and the other apostles come back to as a fixed point of reference. We can always come back and say, oh, okay, here's, here is where the truth is. Here is where we know the truth is at. Truth that never changes. What a gift. What a joy to know Jesus' commitment to build his church. Because remember, it's him who's building his church, right? It's not Paul's church. It wasn't Peter's church. It wasn't any of the other apostles' church. It wasn't James, the half-brother of Jesus' church. It was Jesus' church. And he said he would build it, and he did, and he still is. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are, or again, we, you've shown us how good you are to us and how much you've blessed us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, using Paul here to, as we saw today, to, to preserve your truth. And that over the centuries you have preserved uh, the truth of your word and the gospel that Jesus has given and, and made possible. Father, help us to live out a life that matches up with the gift that we have received. We're so glad that you've preserved this book and we pray that you, as we move forward, you'd help us even more to understand uh, the truth that, that Galatians gives us, that salvation and a, a relationship with you is by grace, a free gift, through faith, entrusting ourselves, that is, to Jesus. Uh, what, what blessing we have. We praise you in Jesus' name.